On today's show, we'll be talking about what's happening in Seattle's food world, like a leadership change at PCC and the opening of a new wine bar, as well as what we've been eating and drinking at home. And as we move toward reopening restaurants, we'll also look back at some of our favorite dining out memories. It's all ahead on the Seattle Dining Show. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Esquin Wine and Spirits. Drop by and check out one of the widest inventories of wines from around the world, as well as local and international spirits, all procured by their expert staff. Is your wine collection ready for a new home? Esquin offers monthly wine store storage lockers in a temperature-controlled environment. Visit their website at madwine.com today. Hello, everyone. This is Wayne Johnson from Fair Start. I am here to welcome you to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to the June 2020 Seattle Dining Show, number 2006. I'm Connie Adams, Senior Editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, publisher and owner of Seattle Dining. Hello there. We are back, and because June potentially could see some reopening of some restaurants in a new form, we thought we'd talk about that this month. So how do you feel about restaurants opening? It's not the same exactly with the precautions both restaurants and guests need to take, how comfortable are you going out? Um, I don't know. It's it's funky, you know. You got to wear a mask and all until mm-hmm. you get ready to eat, and then you take your mask off. Yep. <laughs> you know, I hope there's not going to be some mistakes made. You know, like forks going into masks and food falling on the table. Will there be anybody walking around going, "Hey, hey, hey! You're not eating. Put your mask back on." <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Were you two speaking? Because that's got to stop right now. <laughs> I don't know. Well, if it seems uncomfortable and we don't go out, does that just lengthen the time it takes things to get back to normal, like in terms of restaurant income? Or is that worth the longer wait? Well, see, people want to travel, so they're going to have to eat out. Yeah. So, um, you know, the the, the income will be there at 50% of what it was. And then they'll probably still be doing pretty good takeout if they've been doing good takeout. Yeah. So I would guess they're going to clock in at about 70, 75% of what they were doing. Uh, the problem with that is with the margin so low in the restaurant industry, yeah. 75% won't cut it for some people. And there's a certain amount of staff you have to have, you know, to operate. Well, you know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about if you were doing to-go only – then uh, you didn't have to have a huge uh, – well, you didn't have any servers, mm-hmm. and your dishwashing came down to just one person probably mm-hmm. who could also do other stuff too because you didn't have to wash all the utensils and the plates mm-hmm. and all that. So I've had a feeling that actually uh, somebody's figuring out there's some pretty good margins in doing to-go only. Well, I, I know that I've heard a number of people say that if you're going to open at 25%, we're just not big enough. You know, that's like four people. So, you know, we have to just stick with takeout only. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. 
I know. And, be, and you're saying they're, they're not going to allow bars to open at all? Uh, you can't sit at a bar, from what I understand. And I'm assuming that's because you're not six feet from the bartender. Oh. You know? and, and a lot of bars are long, but some seat six people. So what are you going to do? Put one at each end and you've got two people at a bar? Can I bring my own plexiglass barrier? There you go. Bring that. Who knows? They might already be in. Bring your own barrier. <laughs> BYOB. <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, I hope there's a balance that helps everyone because even if what you're saying is true and they're finding better margins with fewer employees, that means there's a lot of people out of work still. So. Yeah, but until the uh, virus goes away or a vaccine shows up, uh, the latter is more likely to happen. Um, I don't know. It's going to be slim pickings. Well, you wonder, too, about the whole herd immunity thing. Um you and I have talked before about who knows, we may have already had it and had very few symptoms or no symptoms. Is there a, are there a bunch of people like that? So maybe we're going to find that even without a vaccine, there's, there's some of that herd immunity. Um, yeah, but then, like, is, is the official word in that if you have the antibodies, you won't get it again? They say that they don't know how long that may last. Ah, Okay. So that may be true. They're thinking that's true. And obviously they're they're taking people's plasma who have come through the mm-hmm. – have had it and come through it. And they're giving it to people with it and they're recovering faster. So there is, there is some uh, definite benefits to having had it and coming through it that – but they don't know. Is that a lifetime or is that six months or is that two yeah. weeks? So they don't know that part of it. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. The other, what if we get hit with another one right after this? Well, that's a, a whole be, different thing, you know, like a COVID twenty one. Oh, God, don't even say it. That'd oh. be crazy. I don't know what will happen in that case. You know, I mean, people who are just financially wrecked already. Where are you going to go? You know, the people. Are, the whole thing is going to have to stop. There is going to be no rent or no mortgage payments or no grocery cost. No one can afford to live in. I don't know. Yeah. That's terrifying, actually. Thanks for bringing that up. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So the other odd thing to me is farmer's markets. So in my opinion, and and I live on Queen Anne, and so I go to the Queen Anne farmer's market. It is a neighborhood family thing. People go there, and yes, they buy things. But it is a little neighborhood get-together. You see families all huddling together and talking. They go get a slice of pizza or a gyro and sit on the grass and talk. And then they do their shopping and they head home, you know. There's live music. The way it is now, no pets, one person per family can come. They must wear a mask and they got to stay six feet apart. I'm just saying that COVID is a total fun sucker. Yeah, so it's so the social aspect is gone. It's gone. You're um, you're shopping and it's and shopping is no fun anyway, whether it's farmers market or grocery store. Yeah. Uh as a personal person <laughs> and you are personal. <laughs> I will say that for as you. As an individual, I don't, you know, I don't I don't uh, I'm not at the farmers market religiously every month. Mm-hmm. And so I don't. I, I don't miss not going to it when it's not there, and, and nobody's at it every month because they only run them, you know, from uh, 
What is it? Usually June through October or May, something May like through that. October. But there are a lot of them. I think university uh, – there's several that are year-round now. Okay. Most of the things that I see at the market that I want, I can buy at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Grass-fed beef. Uh, I, I, I haven't investigated those little freeze-dried mushrooms. Those look kind of interesting. Mm. I, I might want to get some of those. Yeah. Uh, I've seen them at the farmer's market. I haven't checked the grocery store, so obviously I, you know, I haven't really needed them. Yeah. But um, that's something that always caught my eye down at Ballard. But hey, you guys, I mean, if you don't like all those baby strollers all around at the farmer's market, it sounds like a lot less traffic's going to happen at these farmer's markets if you like to go to them. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I think the thing about farmer's markets, in my opinion anyway, is that it's about eating more locally and supporting local farmers as opposed to getting it at a grocery store. Yes, you can probably get all that stuff at the grocery store, but you now have a relationship with, you know, the guy who grows your tomatoes or, you know, it's that homegrown thing. Yeah. Well, you can still go have a relationship with him from six feet away without a baby stroller biting (laughs) at your ankles. (laughs) And those parents may be fighting. I'll go to the I'll go to the farmers market. I'll go. You stay home with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of ankle biters, your cat. I'm telling you, man. He just oh. bit my ankle the other day. You know, it's a sign of love. He loves you. He just wanted to play and you know draw blood. I don't. What's the? <laughs> I don't get the problem. <laughs> He's so loving. <laughs> he was playing. This always happens when, when it gets warmer and we kick the covers off. Because mm-hmm. then he says, well, maybe I need to be under those covers. Yeah, maybe I need to be sucking the blood yeah. out of Tom's ankles. Yeah. He can be a fun sucker, too, sometimes. All right. Do you want to talk about what we've been eating and drinking at home this sure. last month? I've had a few hits and misses. Um, the turkey burger with pesto sauce was okay. Didn't. Didn't wow me, but actually I bought some pesto sauce, and I think that was the the downer. Oh, yeah, I didn't make your own. Yeah, I think that would have been better. That's the one thing I'm not growing on my patio is basil. I never had good luck with growing it before, so I've been timid not to – I've been timid to try it now, but I'm doing so good with other stuff out yeah. there. I think I need to get a basil out there and see what happens. Yeah, because your, your herbs are doing very well. Yeah. Um, an almost hit, in my opinion, was that Hawaiian pork bowl. It had bacon, pineapple, and red onion in it. And the pork was marinated in a small amount of sugar and English breakfast tea bags. So as a whole, I kind of liked it. It had avocado on it, too. But the pork itself was really good. It sounds like one of those things you make when you're throwing a bunch of stuff away. You know, you t- Before you throw the used English tea bags into the compost <laughs> bin, you marinate pork. your pork in them. <laughs> Well, it worked. I thought the pork was really good. Yeah. Um, Then it also called for a dressing, which I, of course, made and then forgot to use. But we tasted it, and neither one of us liked it. So The strawberry Merlot sauce? No, no, that was the other one. This was the lime and uh, something else. No, the strawberry Merlot sauce on the pork tenderloin was a hit. Mm -hmm. That was very good. We'll have that up on the uh, Seattle Dining this month, um, that recipe. Mm -hmm. And now... I have finally broken the barrier and tried the sous vide. I made some salmon, which was very good, that I used on a salad. The shrimp was not. I was looking at various recipes, and I left the um, 
shell on, which was a good thing. But they turned out to be really mushy, and I and I do believe that that was from my putting in too much liquid, too much butter, too much wine. I think it just overwhelmed it. Well, I wonder. It could have overcooked it too. But the only way I've done shrimp in a sous vide is with the shell off. I wonder if it's just like sweating itself to death inside the. Mm. Shell. Interestingly, though, the recipe I looked at said if you use the shell, cook it five minutes longer. Hmm. So that theory would not fly on that. There's a lot of shrimp recipes I see where they say take the shell off and stir it up with the with the the butter and whatever. Yeah, with the marinade. And then and then pour that in to the bag with the oh. with the deshelled shrimp. Oh. You can leave the tails on. Yeah, but those are also good if you do them in the in the sauce ahead of time. Yeah, huh? And maybe I got it was a a high recommendation from the guy at the store, but maybe they weren't really that good a shrimp, or maybe they were older or something. I don't know. And what about that salmon that you made? Was that some of the salmon you had from earlier in the year? Yeah. Okay. And that that brings us to the the other sad miss was the sable fish, which also came from earlier in the year. The sable fish was very, very bad. It was fishy, and it did not smell fishy. So I don't know if it was the recipe I was using that brought out all the worst of it or if it had been in the freezer too long. Because the salmon that we originally made was fabulous. And the salmon, which came from that same batch that I made, was was pretty good. But it, it wasn't as fresh. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe even when they're stored properly and frozen, there's just a limit to how long you can keep them frozen. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not sure when they were fished. I can't remember what my neighbor told me. And I've had them since January. So I've had them for three and months. And I think they were probably fished like October, November. Yeah, except that they were fishing in Alaska. I don't know if I'd be fishing out in the waters of Alaska in October, November. Could have been earlier. Hmm. That doesn't seem like a getaway to me. That seems like torture. So, But my major hit, and you will agree with this, was my panna cotta with blueberry sauce. Yeah. That will also go up on the site this month yeah and i saw your recipe and i i'm I'm doing an augmentation of it so i'm taking the sugar out and putting maple syrup in oh yeah and uh and i'm gonna go a different fruit just for the heck of it Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna do a strawberry you did a blueberry yeah i actually when i did the blueberry i was gonna do a raspberry instead but they were just so expensive i couldn't bring myself to do it you buy them frozen buy organic frozen oh okay like you know the peaches we had the other night those were organic frozen yeah and that way, uh, you're not paying through the nose to get it, and it's mm-hmm. good quality product mm-hmm. that the Cascadia brand is. Yeah. We've had some frozen things primarily, I will say, from Costco that were organic and had absolutely no flavor. Okay, those, that's awful. Yeah. Those peaches were good, though, the Cadia. Don't, don't buy frozen fruit at Costco. No, it's very disappointing because, you know, they're usually a decent price. And- Unless your doctor puts you on a bland diet. <laughs> And then you can eat anything you want. Yeah, then you get eat it from anything Costco, Costco. And it's still. <laughs> you won't even taste the vitamins you buy there. <laughs> what about you? What have you been making? Let's see. Uh, I did tandoori chicken. Turned out okay. Yeah, it, that wasn't a wow for me, but I would have it again. You know, yeah, I need to work on it a little bit more. But you know, I got the recipe from somebody, and then they got it from some you know ho hum. Blog site, and and that original recipe that they gave me called for uh, yellow and red 
food coloring. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, needless to say, I did not put that in there. But uh, I know that my uh, turmeric and my uh, paprika are so heavy duty in color that uh, they take care of that without yeah. having to add food coloring. Well, you cannot tell me that any authentic Indian cooking, like as done by Indian people, that they use food coloring. I don't believe it. Yeah. That's just some American thing like making our cheddar cheese orange. Come and see my tandoor with the red dye number two button. Don't, don't do the Indian <laughs> accent, please. <laughs> please. Uh, then I, uh, I did a uh, shrimp out of the shell, barbecued with uh, – smoked with rosemary. Not really good. Yeah. I don't think rosemary and shrimp are made uh, to go together. It doesn't strike me. I didn't have that one, but it doesn't strike me as a match made in heaven. Um, okay, then we did sous vide ribs. Mm. And uh, the finale was they got a half hour on the barbecue with wood chips and rosemary. Yeah. And that worked out pretty good. Yeah. They were just a little tiny bit dry. They weren't succulent. You know? Yeah. But they did fall off the bone, even so. You didn't, but I did dip them into more barbecue sauce, which I'm sure calorie-wise and whatever, even though it was organic, I probably didn't need. But that made it – that took any little bit of dryness away. Yeah, it would. Yeah. It would. Uh, So that's that's what I've been doing food-wise. And then we're going to talk about some wine here. Yeah, we've tried three wines – we're kind of just out there looking at reasonably priced wines that maybe we haven't tried before, that we've liked before. This time we did a sea glass Pinot Grigio from Santa Barbara County, and I liked that. I thought it went well. I'm not sure now. Well, I should have written that down, what we had it with. It was at my house. Um, but I liked that. And then I got an O Organics. I didn't know they made wine, so I saw that and thought, oh, and we got the Pinot Noir. You called it drinkable. I let you finish it. I I couldn't drink it. I disliked it very much. Well, you know what you do when you when you get some wine you don't like, you just uh, mix it with a little Seven Up, and it's all right. <laughs> yeah. In in my mind, it's just not wine anymore. Both of those around ten, and then the other night we had an Irath Pinot Gris, also about ten, and I liked it, but it didn't like stand out to me. It wasn't like whoa, baby, that is a nice green. It wasn't fresh and crisp. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to pay more money for fresh and crisp. Yeah. But Erath is, is normally a really good uh, brand, too. So it's, it's I was, a good little drinkable yeah. Pinot Gris. So. Well, let's see. I had the uh, Badger Mountain Organic Red Table Wine mm-hmm. in the box, mm-hmm. and it, it's just awful. So you gotta you got to get the 7-Up out when you have that. Do you put cranberry juice in that one, too? I've done that before, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the 7-Up works fine. So, you know, 500 milliliters of, uh, of the uh, red wine and then uh, 250 milliliters of 7-Up. And then you could take the leftover 7-Up in the morning when you make a smoothie, you pour it in. <laughs> really good like that, too. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I want 7-Up for breakfast. But it made it a little lighter and frothier. Who knew? So uh, interesting trip into Central Market a couple weeks back mm. after having seen a article with the uh, the head of Kiona uh, telling everybody not to buy his wines because the smaller wineries need help. Really? Yeah. 
uh, and uh, I don't know. So I, sometimes I think it's just kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, I walked into Central Market, and there was the Kiona Limburger, and uh, so I picked a couple bottles of that. They always make a nice Limburger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not a lot of Limburger in Washington State, but it goes mm-hmm. really nice with prime rib or, or um, ribeye or mm-hmm. any kind of red meat. It would go, go nice with a burger or a Big Mac, too. Yeah, yeah. So. Interesting. Maybe, maybe he's counting on that bounce back. Everybody thinks he's such a nice guy for saying that. That they go out and buy a his smaller wine. winery and one of his. Oh, there you go. Yeah, they try to do both. Let's let's all do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, the way have... you can manipulate the media, I tell you. <laughs> We're so f- just malleable. <laughs> hey, what did we have last night? We got dinner from Saltoro and split the sea salt roasted chicken, and it was a something Nicolt, N-I-C-O-L-T. It's a French white blend of Semillon and Sauvignon. That was okay. Blanc. Yeah. It was pretty good. Yeah, that worked fine too. $15 a bottle, which is a decent price for a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, you know it's much less than they would have been charging in the restaurant if we were eating in there. So. Lots of good wine deals out there from the restaurants right now that are doing it to go. Yeah. So take advantage checked, of those. Have you checked any of the places like BevMo? Are they doing good deals now or is it their normal stuff? Well, uh, the one I go to is Total Wine mm. and uh, they always have – they have, you know, they're like the Nordstrom. They have everything at different price ranges, you yeah. know, all the different price levels. Yeah. Because I need to stock up a bit. I don't have any wine left right now, and I, I kind of don't – sometimes it's fine to just buy for what you're making specifically. Uh-huh. But it's nice to have some wine just on hand too. Yeah, and, you know, we rolled into uh, COVID-19 at the time of Washington Wine Month. That's April, right? Yeah, May, March. Sorry. March. So yeah. there was a bunch of wine left in the grocery stores. I, I think there was probably some good deals going down with yeah. all that. Yeah. Interesting. All right, shall we take a break? And then when we come back, we will look at the latest tidbits from our News Bites file. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by B&E Meats and Seafood, your neighborhood butcher with four locations to serve you in Des Moines, Berrien, Newcastle, and the top of Queen Anne Hill. Unique products, great meats, the freshest seafood, and a knowledgeable, friendly staff make shopping at B&E Meats and Seafood the best choice. Hi, my name's Alan. I live on Lower Queen Anne, and some of my favorite restaurants are Canlis and Toulouse Petite. Hi, this is Brock from the Dahlia Lounge, and you're listening to The Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. I am the founder and publisher, Tom Marin. He's the man. And I am here with the front of the house and editor-in-chief, Connie Adams. New title. I like that. And we are going to get into our news bites because even though restaurants aren't open, food is being sold. Wine is being sold. Booze is being sold. And we all need to eat. And drink. Yes. Yes. So you can always uh, go back to the News Bites column at seattledining.com, too, and check out what's new. But probably the big 
not the biggest news, but some big news is that the PCC Community Market CEO, Kate Hardy, is leaving. She's going to head up the second largest winemaker in the world, the Wine Group. That's I hope she gets them to go 100% organic. Yeah, let's, let's email her. <laughs> um, Brad Brown will be the interim CEO while the board looks for a replacement. I always feel bad for the interim people. It's like, clearly you're not good enough. Well, sometimes they get the job. Yeah, that is true. You never know. Yeah. So James Beard Foundation 2020 nominees came out with some things. Best new restaurant. There were none in Washington, two in Portland. Best bar program, expatriate in Portland. Best hospitality, Canlis. Best wine program, there was one in Portland. Best chef, Northwest and Pacific, Jewel was it in Washington, and there were four in Portland. I'm kind of surprised more Seattle spots didn't get the nod. That's, that's kind of low for us. Um, well, they're all closed. Well, you know what? <laughs> when the nominations came out, they actually said some of these will never be here again. Ah, uh, yeah. So they're, they are, you know, taking that into account. They also came out with some nominations for um, bar, like they had the Best American Bar Team, and that went to Navy Strength. And the Best American Cocktail Bar, Rob Roy, which is um, – and a Best American Bar Mentor was Anu Elford, Anu. So um, all, all of those are the same people, Anu and Chris. Mm-hmm. And then um, the, world's, the world's best spirits selection went to Rumba, hmm. which is interesting. So, so we got some stuff, but mostly our, our big wins were in the bar area. So that's that's what we're known for right now. All right, well, let's get them open. Yeah, yeah, let's start drinking. I got it. Um, sad news: Il Corvo will not reopen. That's the pasta place that Mike Easton had downtown, or kind of Pioneer Squareish. Um, not really Pioneer Square; it was more downtown. Anyway, it's not reopening. Um, personally, it was really tiny, and I only went once, and it was just really wonderful. But I am not a person who will line up around the block in the hope that there's going to be food there when I get there. You know, I just – it's not don't, my thing. Don't you think there's going to be this huge <clears throat> uh, bunch of money roll into downtown in 2021 and there's going to be basically almost an entire new restaurant scene? Maybe, Because yeah. there's so many of them are closing down permanently. Mm-hmm. And – you know, so I think like the the Greater Seattle Chamber of Commerce is going to go find a bunch of investors, and we're going yeah. to see all these new places open up. I don't know; it'll be interesting. I hope so. And I, no matter how nervous people are currently, I think we are social animals, and and food is a very social thing that brings us together. I can't picture restaurants just not ever coming back. You know, it's just. Well, I don't think some will come back as as what they were. Oh, yeah. But then I think, you know. I mean, as an industry as a whole, it's not going to go away. Yeah. So, yes, I'm yeah. agreeing that it's going to have to be something. And I think generally restaurant people, food people are pretty creative people. I Unless it was just a hands-down moneymaker, I think they're going to want to do something different. It gives them an opportunity to go a different direction that maybe they were interested in but couldn't do it financially because they had these other things. And now that they're gone, they can start fresh and do something new. I think they'll like that. And I would think the Pike Market Foundation is going to have to come up with a strategy to uh, get new restaurants in because we know some of them are gone. You know, Bavarian Meats is gone. Um, 
I'm not sure. Well, According to Open Table, yeah, steelhead, the Steelhead Diner's gone. Don't even say it because it makes me cry every time. I know. Every time. Connie did all the PR on the original opening of the yeah. Steelhead Diner and did That's, a fine job. Thank you. That's when I got to Good know job, Kevin and Connie. Teresa Davis, and they're lovely people. So, in any case, Mike Easton is keeping Il Nido in West Seattle. Right now it's operating as a pasta retail shop, but it will come back. So, we, we won't do without his pasta. And, you know, West Seattle's going to have to support their own restaurant scene right now because don't have people going back and forth over the West Seattle yeah. freeway. So, You know, I haven't seen much about that either, like nothing specific. Like, yeah, there are other ways to get there. But, no, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, well, I don't know where the First Avenue Bridge is or I don't know how to get there once I get on the First Avenue. You know, nobody – I haven't really seen directions like since you can't take – the West Seattle Bridge. Here's how you do it. Yeah, they have they have directions. Have they? Yeah. Okay. But there's no need to go because you can't go to restaurants over yeah. there other than to get to go. And by the time you drive back to you know main yeah. area of Seattle, <laughs> your food got cold. Yeah, you so. better be eating in your car. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. Um, a new. Uh, this is a positive piece of news. Somebody's doing something new. A new wine spot is taking the place of Bar Ferdinand in Chop House Row. It's going to be called Light Sleeper. There are four partners, Chef Eli Dolan, who was the chef at Bar Ferdinand, and Ezra Wicks will be the wine director, and he was at Bar Ferdinand. Then Will Mason is in charge of retail wine. He was from Monsoon. And Solomon Navarro, who you know from Serafina, will Mm -hmm. be front of the house. Oh, he'll be front of the house. He's going to be front of the house. Now, is he the only sommelier in the bunch? Or, or uh, is the, well, I guess maybe the wine director might be a sommelier. There's a, but we there's don't a guy know. in charge of retail wine and a guy who's the wine director. I'm assuming there's probably a lot of depth there, but I don't know how many or, hmm. you know, how far along they are on that. I always get worried when someone says, yeah, there's four partners because you know that there's, they're going to have to eat each other's flesh at some point. This is not a big place. Yeah. So, uh, since they have a somebody in charge of retail wine, obviously they are selling retail. So they've got a retail operation as well as a restaurant bar operation, you know. So maybe that's why they think that will work. It scares me too. Um, they well, are offering all glass pours as I well think as cocktails. Solomon is the kind of guy who could wind up back at Serafina. And everyone would be thrilled. Oh, okay. If things didn't work out for him. Yeah. But if it does work out for him, super. He's a super great guy. Oh, good. Good, good, good. I hope it does for all of them. They're looking at a midsummer opening at the earliest. And then I know you've been crying in your beer about this, but two of the Biscuit Bitch locations will close permanently. What a shame. I know. You're a big Biscuit fan. Now I- you can't even get the Biscuits to go. <laughs> I don't think they've actually been open for that at all. So, Pioneer Square and White Center are the ones closing. Pike Place and Belltown will reopen sometime in June. So, I don't think they've been open this whole time for takeout, delivery, and very limited outdoor seating. And then on hotel news, Mayflower Park Hotel has opened for essential travelers. At this point, I'm kind of feeling like everyone is an essential traveler. We're so desperate. But for the rest of 2020, they are offering 24-hour cancellation for individual reservations. So if you book it, then you can't make it. That's good. And uh, and not charging a fee for the cancellation. Exactly. Unlike KOA in Montana, you know what I'm talking about? I would just say this because this is such a weird, stupid thing. (laughs) It charges a cancellation fee. 
couldn't and, believe it. And you know what? It's 10 bucks. Why in the world? $10 is not going to help them. If they've got, I don't know. I just think that's sad. Because, you know, KOA is used, I'm, I'm guessing here, but primarily by families. Mm-hmm. So how many families are just Under normal circumstances, I think that would be fine. This is not yeah. normal circumstances. Yeah. And, and every other hotel and accommodation in the industry knows it. Nobody's charging cancellation fees. Yeah. And how far ahead were you trying to cancel? Like three months. Yeah. Yeah. That's my other point. Normally, like certainly for hotels, it's... 24 hours or something. A lot of them. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, El Gaucho, Seattle, was moving anyway, but with all the problems going on, they've just said they'll not reopen in the current space. So they were out June 1st. Construction resumed in May on their new space at Western and Blanchard. And then Specialties Cafe and Bakery, which I really never went to, but there was a whole bunch of people who used to love that place. I did. Did you? Yeah, but it, it was full of sugar. Oh. I loved it, but I don't eat like that as that way anymore. Oh. So, well, they they closed in May after thirty three years in business. So if they're using those same uh, recipes from thirty three years ago, it probably did have tons of sugar in it. Mm-hmm. Grandma's um, recipes. Yeah. Well, they had a store over in U uh, Village. Was that was that part of this knockdown? The the company has closed. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, you wanted to chit-chat about Negroni in bags. We found Negroni in the bag the other day. So, uh, back, meanwhile, back at Total Wine, while I was shopping for large bottles of tequila, <laughs> I turned the corner, and on the end cap was this Negroni in a bag. And I sent a picture of that to Ron Holden, anybody who... You know, Ron writes for us pretty much every month, and uh, and he's a big Negroni fan. Loves to make his own Negroni mix and then bring it to the house when we make dinner. And he 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 takes care of the Negronis for us. Uh, so he was he was a little bit amazed. He wants to try that. I don't have a report back from him on it yet, yeah. but but uh, you know, all these uh, cocktails in a bag now that are out on the market. Yeah, you know. That, that's been around for a while. I don't know about Negronis, but cocktail, you know, pre-mixed cocktails, and most of them not very good. No. This may be another silver lining to COVID. Maybe, you know, people were really trying to do DIY. Do it, yeah. I always say DIY. Um, D-U-I-Y-D? Yes. D-U-I, D-Y. <laughs> um, they were trying to, you know, do things to, to make money in some way, and I, and I would imagine the quality is way better than it's ever been. So maybe we'll, we'll be getting more premixed cocktails that are actually good. And, you know, if they're no good, just put a little 7-Up in there. Yeah, and, you know, cranberry juice if you must. So another closure by Chef Shota Nakajima. He closed Adana on Capitol Hill permanently. Um, he still has Taku, and that will continue to do takeout and eventually reopen. And then more hotel news. The Hyatt Regency at Southport and Renton is prepping for a phase two reopening. So that's that's good. That's nice to see. As them. everybody should be. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready, but I do want to be safe too. You gotta just balance it all out. Well, you know, it's interesting. You were saying um some of the some of the high risk things when people go out. Yeah. Uh and some of the lower risk things. And one of the low risk things was go stay at a hotel. Yeah. And you mentioned that 
it makes sense because you're still kind of sheltering in place. It's just you, you know, or your family circle. Yeah. And you're in, you know, in a room. So, and, and at this point, most of it is going to be room service or takeout that you bring back. So you're not, you know, I can see why that would be. As long as the hotel is following all the safety precautions and who wouldn't be because they'll be shut down immediately if they're not. Mm-hmm. So um, everybody's being so careful. So um, you and I are going to go to Island County next weekend, which is the first weekend in June. Mm-hmm. And so we have some homework that we got to do to figure out because they're in phase two. So they may have some restaurants open that yeah. we can go and sit at. And we just want to make reservations or whatever. Exactly. Or, if they're – I don't know how – how much they're open if they're at like 25% because if that's the case, they're not going to have a ton of tables. If the weather's nice and we find a place that's open with outdoor seating, that would be great. Then they could do more people, but we'll just have to see. But we're real good with breakfast, you know. We, we know either we bring our own uh, oats up and some yogurt in an ice chest mm-hmm. and um, – some fresh fruit, and then we'll make some parfaits in the morning. Yeah. If there's a microwave available, either in the room or down in the main room, uh, you could do your own bacon. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we'll, There's ways around this. We'll manage, and we're just looking forward to It's just a one-night deal, just fun to get out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Shall we take a break? And when we come back, we're going to talk about some great restaurant memories. Sounds good. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Revolve True Food and Wine Bar in Bothell, where a passion for wellness, wonderful food, and good wine infuses everything they do. All menu items are free of gluten, grains, preservatives, trans fats, GMO, and soy. Enjoy wild seafood, organic farm fresh eggs, and seasonal organic produce. Find them at RevolveFoodWine.com. This is JP. I'm from Lake City. And one of my favorite places to eat is Cafe Lago. Hi, this is Laura from Kestrel Winery in Woodinville in the Warehouse District, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We're back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Connie Adams, the senior editor. Connie, what are we going to talk about now? Well, you know, I had this idea that as we head into June, as we're in June and hoping to reopen some restaurants, that it might be fun to go back and look at some of the great times we've had when we were dining out. And anyone who knows me knows that I can tell you what I ate 27 years ago on a road trip through Oregon, you know, and who I was with and what the side dish was. And I I have this mental capacity for remembering food because I love it so much. But as I started to kind of make my list here about my best memories of great restaurant food, every one of them was about the people I was with, the atmosphere what was great about that, and I don't remember what I ate. Huh. So I'm. it's interesting. I don't know if I've just eaten so much in my life now that I no longer can remember what I ate 
or if it's a whole COVID thing. Right now, what I'm remembering is good social times that mm-hmm. I can't have right now, which is interesting. But anyway, the, the things that come to my mind, we can go back and forth on these maybe. You were at this one because you set it up, but my, my extended family was in town, and you were working with Serafina at the time. So we went out and sat on the patio in summer, and I have not laughed that hard in years. We were, you know, reliving the death of the parakeet in my bedroom and, you know, fun <laughs> things like that. I'm sure we ruined Petey. everyone. Petey. No, that was Homer, actually. Petey was the canary. Well, we were talking about Petey. Oh, that was a canary then. That the canary is... in the bedroom, not in the coal mine. <laughs> I'm sure it meant something, though. But yes, that was a, a very fun evening. Uh, we went uh, probably like at 5 o'clock. Um, and if we annoyed anybody, uh, we apologize now. Yeah, we're very sorry if you still remember that. And uh, Roman was our server, and he was probably one of the best servers ever. Now he sells motorcycles. I hope he's good at that, too. So. Yeah, that was just really and, – and, of course, the patio at Serafina, never bad. And the food is – I've never had a bad thing at Serafina either. Mm-mm. So, um, you know, I'm sure whatever I had was wonderful. Um, the Sushi Samurai up on Queen Anne, I have a wonderful memory. And I, I can remember what we ate, what we had there. They brought it to the house, and it was for my mom's 90th birthday. Oh, yeah. She got very into salmon, nigiri and salmon rolls. So mostly it was salmon, but – they they brought um, miso soup. I think their miso soup is one of the best around. Um, edamame. They just it was a gorgeous spread, and and everybody loved that. Um, you and I had a dinner at Tavolata in the springtime one time, Belltown, and everything was just amazing. That was one of the best dinners I ever had downtown. Yeah, it was really <clears throat> great. And then, as you mentioned earlier, I did PR for Kevin and Teresa Davis, and I started with them before they opened Steelhead. And then Teresa and I, as our public relations thing, we didn't have a big opening. We just brought guests in for dinner, two or three at a time. So I was eating there weekly, and that's when I grew to love Kevin's food. His fish is incredible, but, you know, the caviar pie, the clam chowder, the crab cakes. Oh, my God, those crab cakes. So, yeah. And Chef Alvin Benuya. The octopus he did at Ponte. He did a lot of good stuff. Oh, What's that uh, little seafood bowl he did? Um, kind of Mediterranean seafood bowl. Um, booyah base. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That was a long, long, long time ago recipe that Richard got from someplace. Yeah, but then they brought but, it back yeah. toward the end of the era. Of yeah, it. and it was fa- – Alvin's just a, an incredible chef. He is. I know. He is. Um, but again, a lot of my, of course, I did PR for Ponte too, but a lot of my memories of Ponte are because Ponte was such a cool place and that patio looking over the canal and mm-hmm. the rooms were beautiful. And so. Well, you know what I like about the end of our show is that anybody who's lived in Seattle for 20 years or longer, when you listen to the end of our show, Brian uh, goes through a list of restaurants that aren't in around anymore. Yeah. And I've had some good times at some of those places, so I'm going to I'm going to bring them up right now. Good. Uh the Dog House. Uh-huh. God, I miss the Dog House. The food was probably horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I think the burger was okay. But that organ that was in there and the guy would would, you know, and we'd go in there for drinks and we just have a really great evening oh, at the yeah. Dog House. We wouldn't spend the whole night at the Dog House cuz sometimes we would start off 
uh, going upstairs to the bar at the Camlin. Oh, yeah. The in the cloud bar. room. The rooftop bar. Yeah. And in the summertime, they'd open up the doors and you could walk outside and watch yeah. all the other buildings getting built up around it. And as it's losing its uh, views, one mm-hmm. building at a time. Yeah. Um, I used to stay up on Capitol Hill a lot in the 1990s. Before I lived here, when I would travel, there was a, a bed and breakfast I'd like to stay out of there called the Gaslight. And so I would go to a lot of different little different restaurants up there. And one of my favorite places in the morning to go to was the Surrogate Hostess oh, yeah. at the corner of uh, 17th and Aloha. In its time, Surrogate Hostess was the place. Yeah. And those, you know, those sticky buns were really good. Not good for you, but they were really good. And and just uh, and the big long tables inside, mm-hmm. kind of like big long family tables or yeah. community tables, all the way down through there. Uh, I, I I miss that. There was the um, can't remember the name Bistro something up on Greenwood at 143rd, where Saltoro is now. Uh, the guy Mark and his wife Kathy ran this bistro. I think it might have just been called the Bistro. Mm. Um, but he was quite a good chef. He had chef down at uh, Washington Athletic Club later. He worked over at the Warwick Hotel and uh, really made good food. And just really proud of his his cooking. And also because he was the owner, he was only in the kitchen half the time. So he was, you know, he'd come out in his chef whites and talk with you. And I miss that. Yeah. Um Bix, Bix was uh, okay food-wise, but I think it was the atmosphere that I liked and missed so much Yeah, about that. That down on Greenwood at 107th. Now it's a uh, coffee place. Yeah, a roastery and a <clears throat> retail coffee place. So those are some of the things uh, uh, that I that – I, that you know that you can't do anymore. Things yeah. you can still do, um, although it's really been upgraded. But the dining room at the uh, down in Ballard on the water, the fancy place, upstairs bar, Ray's. Yeah, Ray's Boathouse. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one to remember. They haven't been around very long. So all those martinis. <laughs> well, I couldn't remember if it was before the first fire, the second fire, or the third fire. But uh, I've had some fun times in Rays. Oh, and yeah. I remember being in Rays before the second fire, and it was a little more rustic, shall we say. Yeah. Lots more of the mariner, maritime sort of fishing lures and stuff all yeah. around. Uh, I had some nice times at Palisade. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the Camlin, and it made me think that in a city like this, there aren't a lot of rooftop bars, you know. Um, but And not a lot of waterfront dining. No, not a lot of waterfront dining. Motif, the hotel, has that great water, uh, great rooftop place that we went, uh, was it just last summer, and, and listened to music one night. Oh, yeah. Um so that is a possibility. And, of course, Tamara's place on Capitol Hill, Terra Plata, has a rooftop thing. That's not very big, so it's always a lineup to get in there. Um, but, yeah, even really great uh, – see, that was another one. That, another high up in the city was the Mirabu Room. Uh, in, it was a Seattle uh, First National Bank building, I think. I never went there. Oh, uh, 
I went there a number of times, and one of my girlfriend's sisters had her reception there, her wedding reception. Mm. It was fabulous. It was fabulous. So, and that the reason I bring that one up is because not only was it high, it wasn't a roof, it was like the top floor, but you weren't outside, but it looked over the water. Yeah. So, I kind of like my rooftop bar. Yeah. Yeah. My patio bar. The Broadview patio. Where I can look across the water, see the Olympics, and watch the baby puppy yellow lab walk oh, through the alley. He is adorable. We need to ask his name so we can really disrupt their walks and call him. <laughs> I'm going to go steal him next time he comes yeah. by. He's such a cutie. Last night he wasn't on his leash. And the guy, he ran off and the guy said, come on back here, come on back here. No, he never came. He had to go down and pick him up. Such a puppy. Yeah. All right, we'll take a little break, and we'll come back with some tips and tricks. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Queen Anne Olive Oil. Explore their huge selection of flavor-infused olive oils and balsamics. Mix and match to create some unique taste treats. Take a field trip soon to the top of Queen Anne and experience oils and vinegars in a whole new way. Find more information at QueenAnneOliveOil.com. Hi, this is Nathan Decker from Zilla, Washington. If you're ever in the area, you should stop by El Portan, located uh, at the exit in Zilla. It's a great Mexican restaurant. Hey, this is Chris Cashman from Take 5 on King 5, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. With us, Tom Marin and Connie Adams of Seattle Dining on the Seattle Dining Show for June. And we're about to wrap it up, but we, as usual, want to leave you with some tips. And I'm going to backtrack a little with, with my tip because I tend to like to sort of freeform things. You know, you'll say, well, how much butter did you put in? It's like, I don't know. I eyeballed it. You know, it's just I like to cook that way. But I will say that I've had a couple of misses lately. And it's because I didn't pay enough attention to amounts. So it wasn't flavorful enough because I didn't put enough herbs in or I, I, it was mushy because I put too much, yep. you know. So, and, and often I think the difference between your cooking and mine, I think we both are pretty good, decent cooks, but you're precise mm-hmm. about stuff. I'm and meticulous you're about meticulous. getting the right level of stuff. And you'll that. make something five times to get it just right and then you go, okay, that's my recipe. And then I'll PDF that Word document. Yeah. yeah. I don't do that. I'm, and you'll, you'll say to me, that was really good. How much did you put into this? Oh, I was just a, you know, I just know. threw some stuff in. So my tip this month is um, don't do that. Unless you have a lot of experience. I mean, if you're, God knows, every professional chef can do that and be consistent about it. But as a home cook who doesn't cook all the time, um, I don't really know what always works. So unless I continue to really up my game, I'm going to go back to, you know, really looking at precise measurements. Mm-hmm. It just makes for a better meal. Okay. Um, I don't have much to add to that because I totally agree with you. <laughs> I couldn't make my barbecue rub unless I was portioning it out just right. 
Yeah. Otherwise, I'd put too much paprika in and not enough salt or something like mm-hmm. that. So. And it doesn't take much to throw the whole thing off. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, I was going to uh, say uh, put 7-Up in your wine, except <laughs> that we've already been through that one. So, uh, And we won't do the 7-Up in your shake either. Um, so I just put a new backsplash in my kitchen. Lovely. After 20 years of having restored my kitchen way back in 2000, I never built a backsplash, and I have one now. So what that forced me to do was to pull all the kitchen accessories away and store them somewhere else in the house. And then when I went to put them all back, I decided that the things that I'm not using are not going back up there. So Mm -hmm. the, the juicer and the... Uh, vacuum packer, that stuff's all going to get stored away. Or I might even, like, put some on Craigslist. Um, but it was time to, to thin that out. And uh, and, and uh, so the one thing that went back was the coffee grinder. Mm. And so this is my tip. Um, I talked about making your own uh Barbecue rub or, or, you know, all kinds mm-hmm. of things that you can make at home and not have to buy them. And uh, I throw all that salt, all that pepper, all that paprika, and all that brown sugar into a coffee grinder. And I rip it almost to a powder. And then I put it in a salt shaker. Mm. And it's a lot easier to get a rub onto the protein that way. Oh, Just yeah. shake it on rather than have this big grainy stuff that you rub around and you get these big globs of brown sugar and do whatever. Feel, do you feel like the flavor is good or do you get more flavor with something that's a little chunkier? Well, I think you're getting you're getting well you're definitely embedding more flavor into the protein because mm-hmm. it's such a fine grind. Yeah. So get yourself a real nice coffee grinder, the kind that you can take apart and wash both the interior cylinder as well as the cap. And uh, that way you can use it to grind coffee. You throw that in the dishwasher, and then when it comes out, if you want to do some blends of herbs and spices or whatever, you can use it for that. You don't have to have two separate grinders. I always see this all the time. People yeah. say, well, you should have a separate coffee grinder to do your herbs in. No, that's not necessary. You know, most of us only have so much room in the kitchen. You can't yeah, have exactly. two of everything. Exactly. So that's my tip. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, it is finally time to wrap up. Now we've done our tips, so thank you for joining us on the show. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. All right. We want you to uh, dine well at home. Yeah. Dine well with to-go. And keep your eyes peeled for who's opening up in phase two and support them if you want. And we will see you back here on the July show. Wow. See you then. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media. It may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music, of Fremont icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests 
and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Doghouse, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.